Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I had a dream on um, Friday night, and I want to talk about it a little bit. I'm entitling today's message, God's Embedded Beauty. And, you know, God has such a hunger for His Spirit to be poured out on all flesh. He prophesied about it back in Joel's day. Y'all don't know Joel. He was alive before you were here. And think about the expressions of the Holy Spirit are unlimited in nature. That's why humanity has such a desire to express itself. And that desire actually came from the Holy Spirit in, you know, I, I feel like that that as we discover more and more about God's design of humanity, it actually opens our hearts up to what is really His true desire, which is what? To make us little Jesuses. And I think that you would say this, you don't come to church to just spend all I wouldn't I wouldn't think you would want me to spend all my time undoing your bad theology. What is theology? It's it's a it's an idea, a way of thinking that your life taught you to think that when it becomes <clears throat> sort of lodged into our hearts and minds, we begin to actually live our life from a way that possibly isn't even God's way. The way that God designed us to know if it's His way is by the fruit we bear. That's why Jesus said, you'll know them. Who's them? True believers. You'll know true believers by the fruit that they carry. You know, we were driving to Fort Sill the other day, and Cece said, I keep seeing these Pac-Man references. And I said, it's because he was always after the fruit. Maybe you're too old, young to know what Pac-Man is. Pac-Man was this little guy, and he went ran, 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 and he was after the fruit. Wasn't he after the fruit? We will know them, true believers, by their fruit. Do you know you by your fruit? You know, I in this dream that I had, I have like. Let me. Can I just give you all my scriptures up front? Because I doubt I'll get to them. Genesis one, Romans one, Romans eight, Romans twelve, First Corinthians twelve. Okay, just in case you have extra time this week, you can read those. But in Genesis one, if you if you haven't spent any time in the 
Passion Translation of Genesis, it just makes everything in the whole world make sense. In the beginning is where it started. Now, I like to think of it like this, that it says, let's just look at it real quick. I hope I don't get stuck here, Lord, help me. When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth already existed. Because it says the earth was completely formless. So it existed, okay? Where did that come from? I mean, that's enough to blow your minds, right? Right? So, you know, I've got to determine in my life what I'm capable of understanding in my current state. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that spend time trying to understand something beyond their relational knowledge. Everything that God gives revelatory is from relationship. So if you have no relationship with him, he won't give you revelation about a question you have until you first form a relationship. That's why you can't trust Google. Because you'll find something on Google to meet up with your current relationship with the divinity. It's just true. I'm just helping you. And so... Since God requires relationship first, you know, then that same process will continue on throughout our lifetime. How many know that humanity kind of wants the goods without the relationship? Haven't we proven that in our dating life? We wanted the sex without taking care of the kids. I mean, that's the reality of the world we made. We live in that world right now. It's a fatherless society. Before you get your panties in a wad, whether you are a good father or not, the reality is if you're sitting here hearing my voice, if you're listening to me on YouTube later, you have a choice. God equipped you to be what you're capable of making. He never allows us to make something that he doesn't equip us to steward. And so there was this emptiness and every place that you want to step into a new anointing, you'll first experience an emptiness. Wow. You know, the worship team and I, you know, I was explaining to them that I ached for the call of God on my life, which was to create a place where God's voice could be sung from. In other words, God, I just think... Well, God started speaking at the very beginning right there. Let it be, right? And so, you know, there were seven areas that God created in Genesis. That's the perfect number, right? And in this dream I had, it was a really interesting dream. I don't have time to tell it all. But the the bottom line message was this, that I began to teach this group of people who didn't even know what their personality was about how they lost their authority through disobedience. And so where that happened obviously is in Genesis. And this is, this is what God said. Now remember, I'm not 
I don't want to really want to dissect this today, but maybe you can go read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3. But in verse 16 of chapter 2, or let's go with 15, it says, Yahweh God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and watch over it. So that, t- that it establishes why we're here. To work and to watch over something. You know this, I'm just telling you, this generation, no matter what language that we use, we just really want to be mothered and fathered. We don't want to be mothered and fathered by someone who's hurt and injured and fearful. We want to be mothered and fathered by people who have spent time with God, who know His heart, who are relational with Him. And I I venture to say most of this generation will be fathered and mothered outside the home. They will be fathered and mothered by spiritual mothers and fathers. Because there's something about this generation is going to embark on actually interacting with people that are so hungry for a spirit. You know, it's proof Friday night. You know, we go out two Friday nights a month, and Bro was telling me about him and Jeb were out at Target, and like people were basically chasing them down, hungry. Because why? They've they've tasted something they don't know what it is, and the taste just might be as they walk by and heard a word you said. My job is to yield my way. It's not like I never have a way anymore. The power and anointing of God comes through the yielded way, not like there's no other way that comes to me. And see, He'll set before you, why does He do this? Why doesn't the Holy Spirit just do the same thing all the time? Why is He such a variety kind of guy? Why didn't God make us all to look the same? Then all the clothes would fit the same. We'd all have the same shoe size. Y'all, we clearly would have this hair, because I know y'all are Jay, and we would have this hair. Everybody would have this same, right? So when we had a service, it would all look the same. We would come in, we would know what to expect. But see, something about the Holy Spirit causes us to have to search for what the beauty that He embedded not in only in me, but in you. If I'm going to be in relationship with you, you're going to do stuff that bugs me, and I'm going to have to search for the beauty that God stuck in you. You know, it's what in in the um, in Genesis one. Where I got this term today was this. It says in Genesis 1-3, it says, God announced, let there be light, and light burst through. I could preach on that whole thing right there, as you know. But this is it. And God saw the light as pleasing and beautiful. And this is what he said. That God's goodness was his intention in creation. And he embedded beauty within all he made. And then it goes on to describe all he made. 
What did he make first? He didn't make man first. He made man last. Why? I said it a couple of weeks ago. Because because God's a planner. See, that's that's the cool part we can we can just lean into and rest is that you're here for a specific reason at a specific time. You're not random. And all the things about you that bug you is because they're, you're looking at them through a lens that isn't beauty. Because God just said right here, everything he made, he embedded beauty. If you're married and your spouse bugs you, it's because you're looking through a lens of what you need more than who they are. And see, that's, that's how relationships get so quirky is because in our hearts, we're wanting to extract from people what God can give to us. You know, let me give you a little example. So, you know, I had this little dog named Scout. And I've had dogs my whole life. But there's something about Scout. Everybody in my house thinks she's the best dog ever. I'm just sure of it. (laughs) But she has developed this way of letting me know that she has a need. And she's able to be consistent with the sharing of her need to the point that I've developed systems to try to figure out which need she's expressing this moment. I've put certain things in certain places to teach her. And, and so her favorite thing in the morning is to get up and relocate she has, we have this queen size bed we share. There's lots of room on this bed. She doesn't want to sleep next to me, except for in the morning. She comes and lays right across my throat <laughs> for some weird reason. And she just lays there. There's no movements, nothing. And see, I, it's kind, the Holy Spirit is kind of like Scout for me that he has these movements and these needs, if you will, that I have grown to want to discover and participate with him. So when, when I hear him say, you know, I, I, went, I, can't, I don't have time to tell you, but I went through this whole thing you're saying where it, where it became clear to me this thing that he was doing today, wanted to do today, that he wanted to woo our emotions with his passion. It doesn't mean that everybody was screaming and yelling and rolling around the room. It means that he was pulling on something within us. Whoever yields. See, the Holy Spirit has an activity and I have to be the one to yield. And see, when I realize he's embedded something within me, 
No one was left out from this. Let's, let's read a couple more things about it. Let's go to Romans 1. Verse 19, it says, In reality, turn to your neighbor and say, In reality. The truth of God, truth of God, is known instinctively, for God has embedded this knowledge inside every human heart. Isn't that the best scripture ever? The truth of God is embedded in every human heart. It didn't even say Christian heart. So see, that's, that's one of the things I try to teach us when we go out, is that this is already in everyone. They've covered it up or shut it out. Because why? We have tried to get our needs met through alternative sources. And then those things created harm. It was never God. God, listen to me. God is incapable of harming or bringing sickness or bringing any sort of destruction. They may call it Mother Nature, but it is not God. I promise you when we get to heaven, he says, you could have controlled the weather. And we go, really? No one told me. You know, when we were standing down there and the wind was blowing so hard, I could not hardly hold my Bible open. Inside me, I knew. Inside me, I'm like, this wind's going to stop. Because I knew I had that power. I know it's going to mess with y'all. See, isn't it about what I'm responsible for? At the end of the day, when we go up to heaven, God's going to say, you are responsible. I read it in Genesis 1. Don't you reread that? To what? To work and watch over. The what? The circle. You didn't fix the chaos. In Genesis run, he said there was chaos. There was an absence of light. It says that there was a thick covering of darkness. And God removed that by what? Saying, let there be these things I want it to be. And then man was placed here to do what? To work and watch. Turn to your neighbor and say, work and watch. That's really the only question we have to ask ourselves. Are we working and watching? Are we working and watching? Are we working and watching? That's how he designed humanity. He didn't design humanity to be sick and rest. <laughs> to Let's say it again. Work and watch. And so since this truth is in us, since this beauty is in everything he made, then what am I going to use all of these things that are inside me? You know, unfortunately, because we weren't parented well, 
then we've gone out trying to either change ourselves so we don't have the needs we have, or we've gotten our needs met by these alternative methods. And then the very thing that God gives to us, we don't like the beauty in them anymore. Isn't it weird how you can date somebody and they are the best thing ever? Isn't is think about your life for a minute, those of you that are married, and this is the best thing ever. You're in that honeymoon stage. Y'all, does anybody remember that stage at all? Come would you marry people admit that stage that even existed in your whole world? And then little by little. It's just little by little. Why? It begins to erode. Are they doing this to bug me? No, they're just being them. They're just being their unparented self. And see, that's the cool part is that the longer you're in relationship, think about if the Holy Spirit was in charge of that. You would be, Genesis 1, you would be working and watching. You would be like working on the relationship and watching to see how it's going. How many can we, honestly, if we're married, we would just be checked out. We would just be like, well, I just got this going, got that going. No. God didn't change his design. There's no place else in the word that he said, okay, I've pretty much changed my mind on that. Let's just do something else random. And see, with that instruction, let's look at it again back in. If you go over to 2, it says, And Yahweh commanded him, who? Man. Him. You may eat freely of every fruit of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree that gives the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will most certainly die. And so then, who did Satan come to? Chapter 3. Where was man? What was he doing? <laughs> Aaron said he was working, not watching. <laughs> Listen, if you could if you could hear this story today, this is the story of all of our lives. What was my dream? My dream was the moment that we gave up our authority through disobedience. What did I say at the beginning? Disobedience is personal deception. Yes. Yes. Right? Yes. Have you ever been deceived? Have you ever been deceived and not known it? Yes. That's a weird feeling, isn't it, when you wake up to the truth? Yes. See, for a long time, I thought that God used sickness to train. I was deceived. That's deception. Because that would mean that God sent His Son to die on the cross and be ro- and ra- raised again. And that He was a Savior and a healer, but then He was making people sick so Jesus would have a job to do. Now, I, I remember telling Cece that because, you know, she wasn't raised in religion. She was raised in another system. And she said, well, why would God do that? <laughs> But in religion, it just made all the sense in the world. That way, why? I didn't have to work or watch. Right. 
I didn't have I, I didn't have to do Genesis one. That's why it's in Genesis one, by the way. <laughs> I didn't have to do it because somehow when Jesus came, he abolished all of that. So now I get to this is the theology we grew up in that I just wait and wait. That was instead of work and watch, we just wait and wait. For what? For Jesus. Listen, I'll, I'll read it to you, just so all you religious people know. It's right here in John 14. Don't worry or surrender to your fear, for you've believed in God. Now trust and believe in me. My Father's house has many dwelling places. If it were otherwise, I would have told you plainly, and I go to prepare a place for you. In my world... Jesus was off preparing a place. Thank God for Brian Simmons, because guess what he says? The prepared place was the cross and the resurrection. He says, "Going, I'm going to go through death and resurrection in order to make us ready to be his dwelling place. He had to go, not to heaven, but to, cro to the cross and pass through re the resurrection. See, that... That's a theological error that caused me to be complacent. Now, I don't know how many were raised in that, be honest. That's complacency. So I, I forfeited watching work for waiting. Because he said, didn't he say to wait? The only time I remember Jesus saying wait was when he said go to the upper room and wait for something to happen. It would be like I would make a theology about, well, he's going to come to an upper room somewhere. Let's go find one and wait. This is what we've done. And see, we've since we misaligned so much, then we've made a lot of choices and decisions out of this misalignment. We forget that embedded within me is something that has to flow out. It has to go out. That's why Jesus said, go. Go what? Go make something. He said it again. Go and make. Where did we hear the word make? In Genesis 1. The Father's business is about making other disciples. To do what? To fulfill the works of the Father. Jesus demonstrated a few, but he even said, you'll do more because I'm leaving with you the Spirit of the living God that actually has such an urgency to do something so much for, so much that he decided he would pour out his Spirit on all flesh. Doesn't even matter if you're a Christian. Doesn't even matter if you're mature. What does this Spirit of God look like on someone that doesn't know God? Think about it. What does the Spirit of God look like on somebody? If, if we're not careful, they'll attach it to something else. Have you ever intersected with someone that says these words? I just had an experience. And I don't know what to make of it. Have you ever, anybody ever had that happen? Anyone? Just five people? And right there you're like, what are you like? What are you like right there? Are you like, let me breathe on that? 
I mean, there's a little flame there. Let me breathe on it. Or are you like, oh, cool. Me too. Peace out. See, that's all a setup by the Holy Spirit. What else does he have to do? It's, it's a lob. I mean, he's just like, give you a little volleyball analogy. He just served it up. All you have to do is go. What do we do right there, really? And then what does the Spirit look like when He pours it out on the religious? What did they do in Jesus' day? Oh, we need another sign. That's what the religious say. Well, give me something else. What else you got? That looks kind of, uh, uh, I could probably explain that away with logic. So what else you got? See, I like to just think about the Holy Spirit where he is orchestrating and positioning and structuring and intersecting and doing all this stuff. And what's his desire? His desire is, once you know Jesus, to transform your mind. So that means your mind needs it. Come on, just think about your mind just for a minute. Just think about it. Today he's trying to transform something in it. A lot of the times what happens with our minds is it gets offended because it's so, it's thinking. I mean, I remember when I first heard somebody say, God does not use sickness to train. All sickness is of the devil. All I could think about was all I had said to all the people I had said it to. How embarrassing. How stupid. How could I, I remember, I've said this for the last 25 years. You know, Bill's my man. God said, find somebody to let them mentor you. And he's been mentoring me for 25 years. Why? Because I, all the things I wanted was his presence and all the things that were in the way of his presence. They, offen- they were offensive. When he said, hey, that's a stupid way of thinking, he didn't say those words, but that's how I heard it. <laughs> Clerics hear things that way. That's a stupid way of thinking. Come on, clerics. Then I had to do what? I had to change my mind. Because see, this thing embedded in me, this truth. So when truth comes by, don't you love it when truth comes by and you need to consult somebody else? Have you done that yet? Truth comes by and you're like, hey, am I right or are they? That's what we do with truth. Am I right? Are they? Because because I I could hang on to what I feel like, but if they, if they're right, I have to change everything. See, when I heard Bill say these different things about his presence and about hosting his presence and about living with the dove in mind, I was like, oh man, I want to change a lot of stuff. <laughs> Only if you want his presence. Only if you want his presence. The truth is already embedded. So it's just a brush across that truth that's already there. Yes. So whenever they're in the garden and they're just hanging out, right? It says this interesting statement. It says in, let's read it. 
In Genesis 3, it says, Now the snake, serpent, was the most cunning of all the living beings that God had made. What do you think about that? I don't mess with your theology. God made something cunning. But remember, he embedded beauty in everything. Right? So that, that I don't know about you, if you got it right then, or if, you, if I just offended you. But there's the potential for even beauty to be used in opposition with the Holy Spirit's will. That's how hurt people hurt people, right there. See, that's why you have to know the difference. See, because in our generation, we are all trying to be rescuers. Come on, be honest. Who thought that was love? That's actually harm. But we were deceived. And so we used our charm to rescue to what? To get a need met. What's the need I have? Come on. Come on. You can do this. I believe in you so much. What's the need? Uh huh. I need to have something to do because I'm working. I'm watching over. And so I just twist the steering wheel a little bit. Unfortunately, you just keep crashing into. Because <laughs> what did I say at the very beginning? You will know them by their. We want to give all of our pearls to because we want to be needed. It makes me feel like I'm loving. Remember what I told you? The anointing has to have a boundary. <laughs> I don't know. You sure? I mean, is it good? Okay, Pam says I'm good. I know I'm just... And this is what he said. He deviously asked the woman a question. Remember what I said about the message about the wilderness? This is the same questions, basically. That's the enemy's tactic. He always is going to ask you a question. About what did God really say? Just think about it for a minute. People lose their destiny right here in this moment. It's when compromise walks right in the door. And this is the question. You must not eat fruit from any tree. Is that what God said? Do y'all need me to prove it to you? Back to two. This is what God said. You may eat freely of every tree. But uno. So here comes it. Here comes the great deceiver. You can't eat of any tree. Right there, I mean, think about it. What does that set up in our lives? That's, that's yeah, it's all about what I can't do. And God says, <laughs> there's way more. 
you can do in my spirit than you can't. But he has a standard. Why does he have to create a standard? Because he has to create something he can reward. Because he's a rewarder. It's his nature. It's hard. That's the reason he made humanity. That's the reason he said to so he can reward it. That's the reason why he said you can do greater things than Jesus. Because I want to. So I can. He wants us to be rewarded. So see, I have to know how the enemy twists me to me. Because God said everything he made had embedded beauty. So if you feel unwanted, you're going to find somebody that at the beginning makes you feel wanted, but in the end, they will take. You will not be enough. Because you, the union was made with a deceiver. And see, that's why the enemy loves to twist not only what God said, but what you need. Listen, if you watch anything in the world (laughs) right now, which I don't, on purpose, because I'm protecting my anointing, because my number one gate of protection is my eyeballs, I, I can control that. My eyeballs and my ears are all controllable by me. There is no one with a gun to my head saying, what's that? And see, through that, the enemy says, this is what's normal. Every single movement on the planet ever that there ever was or ever will be is birthed out of deception. Because God embedded beauty in everything he made. But just like the snake, anybody can twist it. Think about, think about the times that people have twisted it to you have promised you things that they didn't do. Anybody ever have that? What does it make you want to do? Does it make you want to run out and trust everyone? What does it make you want to do? It makes you want to shut down, shut out, hide, take no risks with people. And so see, that tells us something. But God said that my spiritual gifts only flow in community. You know, Cheryl's going to be doing this trust book, right? I told her this is such a great season. And that, that we have got to allow the Holy Spirit. See, when you first realize how trust is broken, it's because you trusted the wrong thing. You trusted the wrong person for the wrong reason. You trusted something that wasn't trustworthy, and so it yielded the fruit. And so then it injured me, and then I painted on everybody. 
In fact, I don't require anybody to have any trust. I don't require anybody to be a man or woman of their word. So as you know, the story in Genesis 3, please take time to read it. It's a fun story. The, the woman actually interrupted this deceiver and told him the truth. But she added something. She said, well, we can actually eat of any of the trees except for the one. And he said, don't eat it or don't touch it because you'll die. And this is what the deceiver said then because, you know, that first part didn't work. Don't you feel pretty good when you knock him off that first part, you know? Have you done that yet where, you know, he comes in he says, you're really unqualified. And you're like, hey, that might be a lie. Yeah, that's a lie. So what does he do? He kind of, he sneaks it in around the corner, doesn't he? Yeah. Because what's he doing? What's the, what's the enemy's goal? But for stage one. Yeah, he's, it's just about attention. If I can be like, oh yeah, I'm an idiot. And he's got me. Right? Because if I'm an idiot, see, because this is the cool part about God. God made us to want to solve the problem of idiocy. We won't just sit around and act like we're an idiot forever. We'll be like, I, well, I got to solve this somehow. I'll go give me some more knowledge. I'll go find me somebody or tell me something different. I mean, we do. We just won't live with it. Right? And so then he said, well, you won't die. Oh. So what did he do? He's a flipper. He's a switch flipper. Isn't he? You get one thing you're focused on, you get good on that, solid. Solid. Not an idiot, solid. And he'll be like, yeah, but... Because the whole objective of the enemy is just to keep you distracted long enough that you actually miss... The reason you're on the planet till you get to the age where you're like, what's that? What's that one? I'm too old. How many 70-year-olds retired have you met that are out doing their purpose? In America, we're looking, we're waiting for 65 to occur. Your entire work world. Remember what God said in Genesis, you're supposed to. Yep, till I can, yeah, retire in America. 65 is that number. We made up all these numbers. 16 you can drive, 21 you can drink, 65 you can retire. Look, we're just, it's just a bunch of numbers we're trying to achieve. And I don't see that anywhere in the Word. If we actually lived our life as if, I had something beautiful embedded in me, and so do you. Then I would, I would, 
search out what's the Holy Spirit. Don't you like to see him breathe across beauty? Do you? I love to see him breathe across beauty. You know, Tessa, I could tell Tessa, she's a feeler, you know. I found this cute Instagram, and it was this little 11-month-old girl, and she had fallen between the chest of drawers and the wall. And the mom came in and said, Tessa, you stuck? And the little girl said, I stuck. <laughs> so Tessa was in that moment this morning. She was stuck. And so what do I do? I invite her in to mother her. And how do I do that? By breathing on her beauty. See, because she was feeling inadequate. And she literally, I know this is going to be shocking to most of y'all have been coming here for a while and know my relationship with Tessa, but she literally said this words, these words. I'm not sure if it's me or someone else. And what do you think I said? It's not you. Why? Because it feels, she's a feeler. She has the feeler gift. I mean, it takes a lot for me to convince her that it's not her. But see, I'm a spirit, I, I oversee her spiritual gift. You know, let's, I'm not going to get to talk about it today, but this is what I was doing. This is it. It's 1 Corinthians 12. This is where we're headed one day. It's the same Holy Spirit who distributes, activates, and operates the gifts as he chooses for each believer. Now, see, I grew up thinking, okay, now I know all the nine gifts of the Spirit. I'm not, I have time to preach on them today. I grew up thinking, okay, well, that girl, she gets prophecy, and let's see, he gets wisdom. But think about it. That means that the Holy Spirit would have to divide himself. It didn't say the Holy Spirit was doing that. He said that he's activating and distributing and operating these gifts because they're his and where does he live where does the holy spirit live now see that was the whole point of making something beautiful he made a beautiful container out of you to stick his spirit in and then he wrapped you with jesus that's this that is what the true experience of salvation is supposed to look like and so then it's not about, well, she gets the special gift of feeling, and she don't. No, whatever, this is my belief, is that whatever is needed in the moment that I'm yielding to the Holy Spirit, whoever I'm encountering, wherever I see myself, wherever I find myself, the, the thing that needs to be activated, the Holy Spirit activates it in me. Yeah. That way I, because Genesis 1 said I'm supposed to, and... So that means that I have a whole assignment and I'm going to need this Holy Spirit, this precious, precious gift that God saw that we were going to need to activate, to operate, to distribute something within me that wherever I encounter someone, I'm going to need to do that right then. And see, if I have a theology that says, well, I don't know, I just don't have that gift then it's saying the holy spirit doesn't have that gift i don't see that anywhere we're all different body parts some of you are the eye some of you are that big toenail 
Who wants to be the big toenail? I kind of want to be the big toenail every now and then. She gets trimmed a lot. Painted sometimes in the summertime. Clearly not sandal weather yet. See, what's happening is that the, the Holy Spirit is activating something in us. And yes, we carry out specific roles at specific times. It doesn't eliminate us from doing something another time. That's, see, that great elimination theology is really a booger. It really is. It teaches us to wait and wait and wait. Do I feel led? When I say, hey, we're going to do this cool project to Gwen, do you go and look in your checkbook and see if you have money to help her? Or do you say, no, this is what we're doing? It wasn't like I didn't ask your permission. It's what we're doing. So you give toward what we're doing because you're doing what the Spirit's doing. And so then if you need an extra $5, and he'll just give it to you. But you've got to give it first or you don't need it. You don't need something you haven't released yet. If you're not going to release any of the gifts of the Spirit, then you don't need more. The Holy Spirit is about what he did in Genesis 1. Hovering over something chaotic. Gwen's got a chaotic driveway. So he's, he's like, hey, move, he, he breathed on something in me as an overseer of people's needs. She's trying to save for it. But I don't know. You have to go to her after service and say, well, how did it feel that 40 people were going to help you with something that was all on your own? You'll have to ask her. I don't know. I bet it's a good feeling because that was a need. So what did he do? He breathed on someone that could participate with the Holy Spirit to meet the need. Do you see how that's really supposed to work? Yes. Yeah. Does anyone see anything new today? Yeah. And so, as soon as she's coming, can I end on this verse? Yes, I can. Lord, you know everything there is to know about me. You perceive every movement of my heart and soul. And you understand my every thought before it even enters my mind. You are so intimately aware of me, Lord. You read my heart like an open book. And you know all the words I'm about to speak even before I start a sentence. You know every step I will take before my journey ever began. You've gone into my future to prepare the way. And in kindness, you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. This is just too wonderful, deep, and incomprehensible. Your understanding of me brings me wonder and strength. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible 
to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me. For your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night. There is no such thing as darkness with you. The night to you is as bright as the day. There is no difference between the two. You formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and you wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is simply marvelous and breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it, how thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, and you carefully and skillfully shaped me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I had even seen the light of day, the number of my days you plan for me are already recorded in your book. Every moment you are thinking of me, how precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in your every thought. Oh God, your desires toward me are more than the grains of sand on every shore. And when I awake each morning, you're still with me. Come on, Mendel. Thank you, Tisa. Wow, what a beautiful message and a beautiful picture. I love how um, the day goes together. If you look at the service as a whole, that we started off with our new song called Follow, you know, inviting us to follow him and saying, you know, I, I looked up that verse again. John 14 um, talks about him being the way, he's the real truth, not the false truth, not that tale that the devil's been telling you, you know, that altered version of what God really said. Jesus is the real truth, and he gives the real life, the real authentic life, and he is the way. He is the way to access the real truth and the way to access the real life, and that's why we want to follow him. I was seeing a picture um, of just this analogy, if you want to go with me on a little journey of this analogy that um, embedded within us was God's beauty is what Tisa was talking about today. So embedded within you, within your man is this beauty of God, this anointing, this access to the Holy Spirit, that Jesus and the Holy Spirit actually living within us. And it reminded me of the parable in Matthew 13 of the pearl, it's the pearl of great price that was hidden in a field. So in, in, in the parable, um, the farmer or the merchant, whoever it was, bought the whole field because he knew that the pearl was in there. So I was seeing this because I don't know why, but when you think about something being Im embedded, I think about something small, you know, embedded in a larger body. And so the pearl, you could say, was embedded in the field. And that's what Jesus did for us. He said, I know the pearl is in there, so I'm going to buy you, all of you. 
in your imperfection, in your wayward ways, in your lack of devotion to me, in your the fact that you don't even know you're operating with the enemy, I'm going to buy, purchase you anyways, because that pearl is in there and I know it. And so I knew the Holy Spirit was on this because I had this encounter um, just a couple nights ago where I was reading in Psalms 1, which I've read many, many times, but I I touched, I got to this point that it says it, the, the righteous, it's their pleasure and their passion to remain true to the word of I am. And this thing just happened in me where I knew I was speaking, I was experiencing that word, that part of that scripture for myself, from a brand new depth of my own heart. Well, I was like, yes, that's true about me. It is my pleasure and it is my passion to remain true to the word of I am, to remain true to Jesus. And I had this encounter where I realized, you know, I've been passionate for God and I've wanted to follow him. But originally, you know what? It was out of desperation. It was out of my desperation that I wanted to remain true to him. It was out of the needs I saw around me and the fear that I was in, had enfolded me into it. And it was out of all, for all these other reasons. And I honestly didn't even know what my real pleasure or passion was. My own heart was just so covered up and so shrouded in all these other things that I didn't even know who I was. I didn't know what my real passion was. And I realized in this moment, and I, I literally saw it like accessing a deep layer of something. Like, I mean, think of, I don't know, jawbreakers come to mind. You know, the, the center of a jawbreaker is maybe a different color, and you finally get down to a new level. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it is truly my pleasure. Like, I can just speak as my own unique individual, not as a mom, not as a daughter, not as a, an employee, not as a human, but just me, my own heart. I touched a depth of my own heart within me. And I was like, it is truly my pleasure and my passion to remain true to you, Jesus. And it was this incredible, I really feel like it was life-changing encounter for me because, well, that the truth is that when we see ourselves authentically, and we are free, we know ourselves authentically, that is true freedom. Yes. That's true freedom to know who you really are, to know what you really want, to know what really matters to you. And then to have, I had this freedom in that moment then to say, yes, Lord, it was all a process of giving that back to him. So I'd touched the pearl, right? I touched the pearl in the field of me. Now I've been wandering around this field and trying to cultivate it and plant some fruit trees and stuff for a long time. You know, so go back to the analogy with me. The, that's why we have to follow him, because in our own thinking, we might just buy a bunch of farm equipment or, you know, get a bunch of tools and stuff like that to start working the field to, to try to do something good with it. And we, along the way, we pick up all these tools and things that we think are going to help us, and they're really not. And so then we have to learn how to let go of him. You know, then we have to learn how to let go of those to trust him. And so um, I had a recent experience. Um, Jared was working in our over doing some landscaping stuff for us not too long ago. And he found this little 
itty bitty turtle. It was just this big, like the size of a quarter. And it was so cute. I fell in love with this little thing and I tried to put it. It was on a day we had church. So I had to, you know, find a place to put him and then leave shortly after. And so I put him in a little flower bed and I was really hoping he'd be there when I got back in the backyard. Well, he wasn't. When we got home, he wasn't there. But I mean, I searched for this thing in the backyard <laughs> for <laughs> weeks. I was like, oh, where did you go? It was this little bitty thing in our backyard. I don't even know how big you would call it, but it, it's a big backyard to me. But it's probably less than half an acre, you know, far less than half an acre. And I was just, I would stand outside and think, there's no way. Like, how could I find this little bitty thing in this big backyard? Like, I could search forever. And I, there's no way I'm going to find it, right? There's no way I'm going to find it. And I'm just likening that to this thing that there is a pearl. Think about how small a pearl is in the field of all you are, all you've ever known, your history, your operating systems, all the theology and mindsets you've been taught. And we are not equipped in and of ourselves to find that pearl. We have to follow him. We have to follow him. That's he think about the verse that she just read that he knows us that well. He knows us. He sees the pearl. He sees the pearl, even if how no matter how um, deeply it's planted, he sees it and he knows how to guide us back to us and bring us healing and restore the whole our wholeness. And um, so that when we see the pearl, we'll know that it's the pearl. And that is true freedom. That is true freedom. And so uh, Tisa and I came across this word that I wrote back in 2018 that um, I think I will go ahead and read it if that's all right. Um, so I was going to just read some excerpts, but this was a journey that I took back in 2018 where I was praying to Papa to get, I could not get this fear off of me. You know, like I'd learned, I grew up learning to operate with fear like it was a tool. So it was one of the tools I'd purchased to work in my field, right? And so I, now I was like, well, no, I don't want to operate with fear, but I, it's like it was stuck in my hand, you know, I couldn't get rid of it. And so I wanted to, I want to go ahead and read it to you just so you can relate to it on a, a personal level about what the process really looks like and what Papa had to say about it. I said, Papa, I need this fear extracted from my faith. Now, it may not be fear for you. It may be something else, your own journey, a habit, a, a you know, whatever it may be, um, an operating system of some kind that doesn't, you know, just doesn't fit with God's plan for you at this point. For me, then this, at this point in time, it was specifically fear. I know this isn't what you intend. I know that fear is not from you. So why does it seem entangled into this faith in you? How do I separate from its toxic hold? How do I walk this way of faith with you without the fear tagging along? It's an unwelcome traveler with me on this road. It seems to trail along no matter how far I go. I want to be free from its hold. I want to walk in the purity of what you gave. I want to breathe your unadulterated air and walk in freedom on this road. Please, please take, set me free from its hold. It shouldn't be, it should not be a part of this hand that you hold. Its markings are from a former day, stains from a way I was taught to go. My hands were molded to hold these things. Do you ever feel like that? Like your hand has been molded around this tool 
that you were taught. And it's almost like you can't see yourself separating from it. You can't tell where it stops and where it starts. To not let, I was molded to hold these things and told to not let go without a fight because they were, in fact, the security of life. But now they streak the canvas I paint, unwanted marks of an unintended color. They tarnish my view and skew the landscape of this future with you. Help me, please, to let them go. Can you somehow come and release my hand from these things it holds? My heart is grieved. My soul trembles in the letting go. And Papa said, my daughter, my son, my precious, precious one, these ways and these things of false security were never what I intended. They don't fit into the fabric of your design. If truth be told, they have never actually found a home in you. They are external to your inner workings. They're external to your inner workings. They feel embedded into your skin, and you struggle to see you apart from them. But they remain foreigners to my craftsmanship. Those things that feel embedded within us are actually, they remain foreign, foreign to what he made because of what we just heard today. It's God's beauty that is truly embedded within us, not the tools of mankind and that that sin and the end fear have have formed in our hands. They remain foreigners to my craftsmanship, fully visible to me and a target of my extraction plan. You can trust me to tend to them. With each glance my way, they are pulled away. There is a magnetic resistance between you and them. Can you picture that for a moment? What, when, have you ever had two magnets and you're trying to push them together and they will not go together no matter what you do, right? They, you just, they will not go together. You can struggle and struggle and struggle. Well, that's what he was saying. These foreign tools that are not of him have that kind of resistance to your design. They may feel embedded, but they are never, ever going to fully connect with your design. And in fact, he says, when your eyes lock with mine, that resistance grows. So when we look at him, we just have to look at him. Just look at him. The resistance between our being and these embedded tools grows stronger and stronger and stronger. As you said, their root is not from me. We have an opposing polarity. By nature, they will be pulled away as you are drawn to me. So by nature, the longer we look at him, the more those things will be pulled out of it, out of us. My magnetism draws you ever close to, closer to me. I am truly pulling you in. This is the way the unwanted will go. This is the way they will be separated from your soul. There's no need to scrub or scrape. There's no toll to pay or elbow grease needed to erase the marks they've made. You don't need to turn your attention to them. My restoration, restoration plan encompasses you completely. And I haven't left this out. You don't need to tend to this. Your part is to simply look at me, to keep your gaze fixed on me, and allow my magnetism to have its way. I'm reminded of, have you ever 
is that have you ever seen when or been around when the um what what were those things called that people search the beaches with a metal detector <laughs> you know that uses magnetism you know to search for things under the soil god has the metal detector okay he can find the pearl now, this is when Papa took another turn. He wanted to speak to something which is really relevant to this, and, and Tisa touched on it too. But if you imagine that analogy where we've already built up our own set of tools in our field and trying to let that go just to follow Jesus around, seemingly having nothing in your hands, requires trust, right? To leave all you've ever known behind and just follow him requires trust. And so this is a really powerful part that he wanted to speak to this topic of trust. He said, my daughter, my son, I have to say something. There's something you need to know. You have been a child to me all along. I saw the way you were taught. I saw the way you were trained. I know it wasn't a choice that you made to simply do it another way. I am aware of your childlike ways, and I am, in fact, delighted in your childlike soul. A child is dependent on trust. A child knows it cannot live on its own. A child needs trust like oxygen. Remember the verse, whoever, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom. So no matter what your makeup and your design is, we all are trying to return back to childlikeness. A child knows it cannot live on its own. A child needs trust like oxygen. You were simply operating in your design when you learned to trust these other things. I never expected you to go without filling this need. I knew you would depend on something. I don't fault you for leaning like this. It's the way you were meant to grow, leaning on trust. There is no shame in trust. Now, this is a really powerful word if you will receive it. God is really trying to release his mercy over you in this moment to say He, the fact that you trusted in something, he's trying to honor that because he wants to bring you freedom from that. If he can break you free from the shame, he can break your hold, its hold on you. So if he's saying no matter what that thing is that you feel shame about, that you feel condemned about, that is still operating in your life, no matter what it is, he's saying, hey, I knew that you were going to have needs, and I knew that you would need a way to meet those needs. And it's not your fault if you were taught a false way of dealing with those things. Leaning on trust was your design, so he's honoring your design by the fact that you actually trusted in something, even if it wasn't him. He says, when my children discover the fault lines in these man-made plans, they tend to throw trust to the wind. They vow to never trust again. It's the equivalent of trying to live without oxygen. The color drains from their face and their eyes grow dim. But I, I have never taken my eyes from them. I watch and I breathe on them even when they do not know. I breathe the oxygen of hope into their souls. I will not let them go. I will not let them perish from what they do not know. I will sustain them, calling them close. There is a constant flow, however faint it seems to them, 
of this oxygen of hope. I wait for them to follow the scent, to start to seek its origin, and when they do, restoration can begin. My oxygen begins to reach every part of them, and the rumblings of trust can be heard once again. Sometimes they find their engine of trust still running on the things of old. Like you, they look down to find their grasp still tightly holding what it used to know. That's when I come with my gentle touch. I tenderly turn their face towards me, lifting their gaze towards me. They are still a child, trusting in what they've seen. Their ability to trust once again is a pure delight to me. Don't despise small beginnings if you trust him at all. It is a pure delight to me, to him. So I won't rip from their hands what they think they need. Isn't that our gentle, tender, loving Papa God? He will not rip it out of your hands, that thing that you're trying to hold on to. I won't leave them lacking in this essential thing. I won't terrorize their newly restored trust, their newly restored ability to trust by asking them to lean on nothing. You see, I have a replacement plan. I will continue to turn their gaze to me and gently replace that thing in their hand. I will guard their ability to hold on to something. I will protect the process of trust. It's essential to me. I will not ask them to lean on nothing. As they gaze at me, I am building a brand new thing. Something new is taking form in their childlike hand. Eventually, they will feel that it has a heartbeat of its own. Eventually, they will feel its connection to what they've seen as they've gazed at me. Eventually, they will know that what they hold is now holding them. Papa has a plan. He has a plan. He has a plan that he has fully provided for. You know, that I was rereading in Scripture how Jesus and the Holy Spirit intercede for us all the time. Two-thirds of the Godhead actively looking at you, looking at God, looking at you, looking at God, and just interceding for you and what you need. You know, we, t- we are trained to think that we operate out of our own strength, and it's, that is something that is so embedded in us that he is gradually and gradually pulling out of us a new and new letter and greater levels because he's actually doing the whole work. He's the one that is, will lead us to the pearl in the field. And so we can trust him and we can lean back into that process and know that he is taking hold of us in our weakness and he is embracing our pathway as we go forward with him and we can trust the process with him. So Papa, we just thank you for all that you have provided, that you have pre-planned long, long, long ago at the beginning of the world when you first created this place that we live in, you had a plan to provide for us, these individual souls, for little old us who happen to be alive right here at this place and time. You had a full, full plan to provide for us and to actually lead us to find the pearl in the field. So we thank you for purchasing us despite 
all of our flaws and weaknesses and misplaced trust. We thank you for purchasing us, Jesus, for paying the great price to bring us back into the family of God so that we can now be comforted and convicted and led by your Holy Spirit into the full relationship of knowing, knowing you and knowing us and authentically experiencing freedom. So we thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you for this message today, for all that you've done and will continue to do in the hearts of everyone hearing this message. I ask that you would continue to make it personal, Holy Spirit. It's all about relationship. It's all about relationship, and I know that's exactly how you feel, Holy Spirit. So I pray that you would go deeply into people's hearts and minds, that you would speak to them in their dreams, that you would speak to them through each other in their, in their personal relationships, that you would put it on billboards, on TV shows, whatever has to happen. Just make it personal for them. And I thank you in advance for their new level of authentic freedom in the days ahead. So we love you, we love you, we love you. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.